Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. This is a special Mother's Day edition of Australian True Crime. It's not a paid endorsement or anything like that. It's just something special for us and we hope you'll like it too. Both Emily and I have a favourite TV show that we share with our 11-year-old daughters. And as many of you will know, the older children get, the less often that happens. So it's very special for both of us and it helps that it's hilarious. It's called Superstore and it's on Netflix in Australia. Our favourite character, literally all four of us, and I think everyone's favourite character, is the scene-stealing assistant manager, Dina Fox. Here she is in action. Hey, uh, Dina? I'm in a hurry. If you want to talk, you have to walk with me. Uh, Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but uh, do you remember your first period? Because February 4th, 2003. It was a Tuesday, unseasonably warm. Okay. So I was 19, all... late bloomer. I've more than made up for that since. My gyno says I ovulate like a champ. I drop eggs hard. All right. Uh, you know, my so aunt was born one... with two vaginas. Yeah, she always thought it would help her date, but it didn't. She died alone. Well, she will die alone. She's still alive. She's only like 50 or something. Okay, thanks. I think I got all the information I need. God, I'm good at flirting. Dina Fox is played by Canadian actress Lauren Ash. And would you believe it, Lauren has her own true crime podcast. She does it with her best friend, who also happens to be her cousin, Christy Oxborough. So this is what's happening. This week's Australian true crime features Lauren Ash in LA, Christy Oxborough in Canada. I forgot to ask where in Canada, sorry. And Emily and I in our houses here in Australia. So it's the four of us talking true crime, our passion. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. 
because sometimes it's just nice to do something you've never done before or something you've done heaps of times before but differently, you know? That's so lovely. What a what a delight. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We've never talked international crime. We're Australian true crime, so this is exciting. Yeah, it is. It's great. A very special episode. I love it. Yeah. Well, you've inspired me too. Listening to your show, lots of things you do, like putting your your video on your website for listeners. I'm going to do that, Emily. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, I think we should venture into that. I think it would be good. I, I think it's the thing that is done now that we don't do. Our friend Matthew, who we work with, he is always saying to me, why aren't you doing video? And I'm like, because I edit so harshly, I'm scared. But you're not scared of anything. You just do it. And I like that. You're inspiring me. Listen, well, bless you for saying that's very kind. And also what I will say is, is video killed the radio star? People want to see your mouth move. I don't know why, <laughs> but they, they, you know what I mean? Like, it's like people want to sit and watch people talk. Uh, to me, I thought, oh, is anybody going to want these videos? They want the videos. That's what we learned. They want the videos. Weird. All right. All right. Who we'll knows? Who knows? And I love what you do with Patreon. I love your merch. We just love what you do. So, oh, bless. We're very bless it out. Inspired. And you're actually Canadian. So, is your show, you don't focus on Canadian crime, though, right? No, we're we I I don't want to even say we focus on North America. We just focus on I guess anything that's more uh currently anything that's really well known and then we try and throw in a few that no one has heard of, but we we don't have any set parameters. We're all for, you know, we know crime happens all over the place, so we're like whatever case tickles our fancy really i like it when you do um when you talk about unsolved mysteries the tv show too like recently you did the mm. well, actually when you were just on your last night of um quarantine christy you were talking about the update on an unsolved because i love that show i love the original show and i love yeah i love the original and you did the update i was just listening to the episode and i haven't got to the end yet so i don't even know what the update is yeah, well, listen, we, we started the podcast specifically talking about the new Netflix Unsolved Mysteries series. That was kind of like where this all started for the two of us, even as a show. And then season two, what's a season in podcast world? Who knows? Uh, but then we kind of branched out to, to just famous cases, whether it's famous people or just a well-known case, that kind of thing. Um, but those Unsolved Mysteries episodes, I mean, they are very compelling. Obviously, they get, they choose those cases for a reason. And the Alonzo Brooks one for sure is one that... It just feels like people know things, you know, it just feels like that's one that's waiting to be, they just need someone to squeal. You know what I'm yes. saying? <laughs> yes. Preach. Yes. Yes. So, yes. Uh, and, and I love that you, when we were, you were emailing Emily mainly and I, but I was reading, I was, I was like, um, what was that old thing that we used to say about people online who never contributed to boards oh, but just read a, them? A lurker. I was a lurking. Lurker. And you were talking about Australian crimes that you had heard of and then and Emily was coming back about, like, crimes of yours that we had heard of or not, maybe. And, of course, Ivan. Ivan Millat was one. Of course, yeah. This is the number one thing that our Australian listeners bring up to us, wanting us to cover, is is Ivan Millat? Is that how we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They can't get enough. They cannot get enough of the backpacker murders. And, you know, there's there's people who believe he was not guilty. Or not guilty alone. That's the other one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in that camp, actually, I have to say. Yeah, I'm I'm in that camp where I think maybe he acted with someone, but I can't cop that he didn't do it. Like, no, that's not my... Now, Thoughts. full disclosure, we don't know a lot about the the case yet. Um, and so my question, I have two questions for you. One, what era of time was this that the, well, these crimes took place? Good question, because the crimes, the victims that we know of, we've got, it's one of those. We've got that sort of canon of known victims. He was committing, certainly committing crimes in the 70s, but the, the crimes known as the backpacker murders were probably 1989 to 1993. So two backpackers were going missing where are they and then the remains of these backpackers these poor people were found in this Belangolo state forest which is in New South Wales but for a long time you know the parents particularly the parents of two young Australian backpackers who um, a, a boyfriend and girlfriend who set off they were campaigning for a long time they were a very visible face for missing people and then they found them and there was two two girls from England and Wales. There were some German backpackers, just shocking. You know, if you read the details of, 
of it, it's awful. There's still a lot of missing people who whose families, particularly young women, whose families think, was it, did Ivan get them? Because he was working, he moved around a lot for work. And uh, so they try and match up where he was living at that time and what he was doing for work and where they might have been. Interesting. And then my other question is, and, and listen, you may not be able to answer this, but my other question is, why do you think that that's the case? Why do you think that's the one that like resonates with people so deeply? Is it the amount of victims? Is it the fact that it could have been anyone that it was, you know, that it went on for so long? I'm just curious your your take on why, again, because he is, Christy can attest, he is the name that the Australians that, that we listen to, that is the name that keeps getting brought up to us again and again. So, so I was just curious your perspective about why you think that that was the one that kind of really kind of gripped people, you I think know? he was our first serial killer, don't you think, Emily, in terms of, like, the first person that we kind of put that tag to. And also, back in those days, we were the destination, the final destination for backpackers, famously, particularly European backpackers. They would leave Europe and they would backpack through Europe and down through Asia, and their parents thought Asia was the danger zone. Oh, that was the place that they were worried about their children backpacking through. And then when they got to Australia, which they thought of as a European culture, that's when they heaved a sigh of relief. Oh, they're safe. They're in Australia. And it wasn't the safe place anymore. And and the, the murders themselves were horrific. Mm. They were tortured, these, these kids. Fascinating. The vastness of Australia, I think it plays into that outback story about people backpacking him knowing that environment and you not knowing it yeah because mm. and he yeah. um and just the fact that back then obviously we didn't have social media or facebook so people were families were relying on letters i know when i first moved to the uk i lived in london for a long time i'd write letters or i'd be calling once a week well these families were like oh they haven't called they were a lot of the times they only found out these their loved ones were missing was they were meant to come home and they just didn't arrive. It's like, where are they? You know. What so... about that one girl, the German girl, whose mum arrived at the airport? Like she was coming to visit her, and oh, she didn't yes. pick her up at the airport. That's how she first raised no. the alarm. Oh mm. God! That's but he was certainly the way the way he. I know for me, just that real shock having like reread stuff about the crimes. The way he he would basically disable them so they could not run. They could not move but they were kind of aware <sighs> he was brutal he gave his girlfriend this benetton top that became quite topical in the case she'd been photographed in this distinctive benetton windsheeter like sweater and one of the girls from the uk that was her sweater and they found all their camping gear in his garage again these were all sort of at the time quite new tropes we didn't really know about that keeping of trophies so when they raided his home and there were the photographs of the police coming out of his garage with their camping gear, with their drink bottles, with their names etched in them. It was like, I'm getting chills thinking about it now. We didn't know that that was a thing back then. Profiling serial killers was still a newish thing and and it was the first time that the Australian Federal Police brought out a profiler from the States, from the FBI, and worked closely with him and they built a profile and all that stuff too. So a lot of firsts. Right. Yeah, and that... There was a backpacker in particular. You always remember his name. His name was Paul Onions. He was British. And he actually had a near-death experience with Ivan Milat. He got picked up by him in his truck or his van and was in the car and in the vehicle and Ivan Milat, you know, got a gun out or a knife and this, this guy's like, what? And he, got, he literally fell out of the car um, on the road and he was picked up by a nurse. And he, his witness statement actually sat in a pile. So this is before forces were like, um, you know, sharing information. So his witness statement about Ivan Milat sat in this paper pile for months and months and just wasn't connected. So, and he gave evidence at the court case and his life's been completely like traumatized by his experience. But yeah, the, the police just weren't connecting statements and everything. Also, his statement was fascinating because he was able to speak to how you can be you know, lured into a car by somebody like that. We talk a lot about this idea that this monster doesn't exist, you know. Women don't go towards, aren't attracted towards men who look like monsters, you know. If you if you look like a monster and you behave like a monster, you don't attract victims, children or women. You have to be charming. At the very least, you have to look reasonable. You have to behave reasonably initially to get near 
victims, you know. And so Ivan was that. And this Paul Onions testified to that. He said, you know, initially he was everything you expect an Australian man to be when he was hitchhiking. And it was a very popular patch to hitchhike. It was near, was it a train station outside of Sydney where... On the highway, the big highway in New South Wales. They'd get the train to the last station and then they'd go across the road and they'd hitchhike up the highway. So he knew that's where they would be. And he'd pull over and he was a very Aussie larrikin, the kind of guy, like Crocodile Dundee kind of guy. Funny, charming, telling jokes, chuck your bag in the back, jump in, heaps of fun. And then all of a sudden, he'd flick a switch and Paul Onion said, his face changed, his eyes changed, his voice changed. Suddenly, he was just a different person and he knew he was in trouble. He suddenly realised he was in trouble. He was terrified. And so that was really valuable testimony for so many reasons. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. I don't know that there are any successful serial killers who lured their victims by saying, get in the car so I can brutalize you, right? Like, it's like, that doesn't, there has to be, there has, yeah, like, there's, there's always a, there's always a get, there's always that, the the charisma, you know, there's the, the Jeffrey Dahmers, there, there's a, there's a way that they're able to, to, to pull it off. It's a really great point. It's a really great thing to keep in mind that I think people forget sometimes for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Victims, we spoke to a lady last week who was um, sexually assaulted in a park by a stranger and she kept saying, oh, I'm so stupid, I feel so stupid because he's young and uh, and now I realise he's really dumb and I was, I was duped by an idiot and she was like so hard on herself, you know, and we were saying, mate, of course he's young and all of that. He had a knife, by the way. Like, you know, of course he was all those things because you wouldn't have helped him find his wallet or whatever he reckoned he'd lost if he was a big, scary guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she felt sorry for him. She's like, yeah, I'll help you find your wallet in a dark park at night time. And we're conditioned to be nice as women. We're conditioned to be helpful and nice and, you know, always assessing situations. You have to be a certain type to get people to lower their defenses. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there, there's been many times in my life where I've gotten out of a situation and gone, what just happened? How, what did I just do for the last hour of my life? Why did I get in that vehicle? Or why did I, you know, why did I make that? Why did I go to that party where I didn't know anybody? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, I think it's very easy in life to, to make those choices um, in the moment. And, and it, luckily, obviously, luckily for me, I, I got out of all of them. And, but it's, it is, I think a lot easier to all of a sudden find yourself in a situation based on your good nature, based on our, again, our upbringing from birth as women to be polite, to, to put on a smile, to, to don't, you know, don't be loud, don't cause a, a fuss. Um, and, and yes, I, I listened to that episode and it broke my heart listening to her say those things because I was like, it's also what we're programmed to do as women is to, you know, um, find the reason, find what you did wrong. What did, what did I do to cause this? Where it's like, yeah. well, kind of nothing. He, he was kind of a predator that preyed on you. That's what happened. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time, which was not your fault. You know what I mean? And I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it really, her listening to her speak, it did speak to, to me in that, that grander sense about how we're programmed as women and, and, and how even in those situations you can still try and go, well, what did I do? What did I do wrong? When in reality, it's like, you know, we find ourselves in those positions all the time. It's, it's not our fault. Obviously. Yeah. There's only one person responsible. 100%. That's what we always say. There's only one person responsible. And that's the, uh, that's the offender. I love about your podcast too that you start, it always starts jovial, you know, like, and my co-hostess with the monsters, what are you drinking <laughs> over there? And all that kind of stuff. But, but it's still very sensitive to victims and, you know, you're still very sensitive about, when you talked about the uh, Delphi, is that how we say it? Delphi? Delphi? Mm-hmm. You know, that's another one that I'm just obsessed with. and uh, Yeah, you are, Michelle. You're really into that one. Yeah. And I love the way you always place yourselves at the ages of victims as well, which I'd never thought of before. And you talked about who you were at the age, when you were the age of those teenagers, what you were up to. I thought that's a really interesting way of, because we're always trying to humanise victims and always trying to really make sure we're considering them and who they were as people. That's a really interesting thing to do. I like that a lot. 
In February 2017, teenagers Abby Williams and Libby German were walking the High Bridge Trail near Delphi, Indiana, when they vanished. 22 hours later, their bodies were found less than one mile from their last known location. Police found found a recording on Libby's cell phone of the possible murderer. Yet despite having both audio and video of a suspect, the case remains unsolved. So who did Abby and Libby run into on the trail? Was it a drifter who saw a crime of opportunity? A Delphi resident who had been following them? Or maybe a familiar face that one of the families is trying to hide? They were 13 and 14 at the times of their deaths, right? They were, yeah. When you think about those details, I'm like, where were we? What... What were we doing when we were 13 and 14? Of course, these two young ladies were were walking in the woods, unfortunately, at the time of their of their disappearance slash murders. And I was trying to think, you know, I was like, is that young to be in the forest? Like we were trying to think of context from our own lives, which made us remember that when we were those exact ages, you were 14 and I was 13. um, We did get dropped off at a public pool for a day. Yeah. And I will say, I remember vividly feeling like feeling free in a way that I'd never felt before and terrified that there was no sort of supervision. <laughs> yeah, I think we got dropped off with like maybe just enough money to pay to get in. Yes. And then it was like, well, there you go. And I don't think up to that point I had ever done anything where it was like, here's money, go do whatever you want. So it was a real it was a real trip. It was what it was. That one really affected me, too. Talking about those two girls and and thinking about Christy and I when we were that age. I I know that that one affected me. Which was that one the worst for you, Christy? Or was there were the the other child ones worse for you? Uh, Jean Benet was the worst for you. She was the worst one because I during my research came across photos from her autopsy. That I did not want to find. I did not go looking for them. They just came up and it was, they're still there. If I close my eyes, I can still see them. And I mean, she was like five, six at the time and I have a five-year-old. And so it's just, it's so hard to not put yourself in that place of like, I have children this age. Can you imagine of how you would have reacted in this case? And I mean, the answer is I would have fallen apart, so I can't even imagine. But the younger the victim, the harder it is. That's interesting, too, because Jean Bonnet has become so... I, th- I feel like everyone's become so disassociated from Jean Bonnet. It's like forgotten that she was a real child and that that's a real family. It's not, they're not characters. It's not a TV show. So, yeah, it's interesting that you, you raised that one. And that material like that is, I, I assume, on the internet, right? You've just accidentally... Yeah. I think I was looking up um, something because I wanted to read the autopsy report. I didn't expect photos and it just automatically came up and I was like, nope, that's not what I was looking for. I just want the words. I don't need to see it as it is. But it's why every time we post a case, I always post a photo of the victim. And it's why I specifically went looking for a photo of her that was not her as a pageant girl because everyone every time they talk to Jean Bonnet they're like well she was this pageant queen she should not have been in these pageants I'm like it was not about the pageants she was still she was a child she was a little girl and I really wanted to focus on that so that's why the photo we chose to post is just showing she was a little girl which to me makes it that much more tragic because everyone focuses on beauty queen and pageants and saying how she was way older than you would think. And it's like, no, at the end of the day, she was like a five-year-old girl. So I just, we got to remember that part because yeah, they seem like characters in a show because she was on TV. She was on magazines. She was everywhere, but she was just a little kid. I've lost sort of lost a bit of touch with like what happened in the end, but I know Patsy, her mother passed away, didn't she, of cancer and and then they did the documentary not too long ago where the forensic pathologist, who's, who's excellent, I can't remember his name, but suggested that her brother killed her with the torch. And then I spoke to her dad after that, remember? They were suing the producers. So it's almost kind of ongoing, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to stop until someone just outright admits to it. I mean, they I saw that one where they were talking about, you know, um, they felt it was the flashlight and while they felt like it fit... There was also a baseball bat that belonged to Burke that was found in the front yard that had fibers from the carpet from the basement where she was found. 
But it's like, but nobody focuses on that. And we also know that he had hit her with a golf club the year before. Mm-hmm. Not that we're not that we're alleging anything. We're not alleging anything. Nope. Nope. Bur- nope. Burke nope, has are. lots of lawyers, so we're not alleging anything. <laughs> but mm-hmm. just saying. Yeah. Of course, there's a link in the show notes of this episode to True Crime and Cocktails so you can subscribe. There's also links for you to come along and see Emily and I live with our special guest, Australia's longest-serving homicide detective, Roland Legg, who will be answering your questions live on stage. We're at the Carolica Theatre in Ringwood on May 28, the Yarraville Club on June 12, and then we'll be coming to wherever you are soon after that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Before recording this special edition of Australian True Crime with Lauren Ash and Christy Oxborough, from True Crime and Cocktails, we ended up in a lengthy email conversation about true crime, of course. Among the topics covered was the cases that inspired our earliest interest in the genre. We found we had a number of cases in common, including the notorious matter of Carla Homolka and her husband, Paul Bernardo. The Canadian couple raped and killed at least two minors together between 1990 and 1992. They also drugged and raped Carla's 15-year-old sister, Tammy Homolka, after a family Christmas party. Tammy died that night, but the coroner found she choked on her own vomit, making it officially an accident. Carla's defence team negotiated a plea bargain on her behalf, which saw her convicted of manslaughter in the rape and murder of the other two girls. As part of the deal, she gave evidence against her husband, Paul, who was found guilty of first-degree murder in both cases, and Carla served just 12 years in prison. Yeah, this is obviously um, both of us growing up in Canada. I can definitely pinpoint my true crime interest being Unsolved Mysteries when I was too young to be watching it and and the Carla Homolka Paul Bernardo case. And I was pretty young when that was all happening. And what was interesting was at the time, as it was happening in real time, the, the court case and stuff like that, there was a media ban in Canada. So there was not a lot of news coverage about the case. And so I remember my school, my friends at school, this is what also is so bizarre. My friends at school would be like, my parents, they have friends in America and they've been mailing us the newspapers because American news was covering the case because, of course, it was very salacious. Um, and then, but now in retrospect, like, how weird is that? That it was like, hey, you want to know more about those serial killers? Here you go. I'll mail you 
you the articles. Like, ah. We have that here a bit from state to state, actually. We had a big gangster trial here in Australia that you couldn't report in Victoria, but you couldn't I guess I just feel like if it was an email situation, which didn't exist at the time, email is one thing, but going to the trouble of, like, you know, packaging up a newspaper, I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, long of the short of it, Paul Bernardo, of course, uh, and Carla Homolka, they were like the Ken and Barbie killers was one of the, the nicknames they were given. So Very gorgeous. attractive. I still remember that photo of them in there at, by the swimming pool. I mean, that was so beautiful. And to your, your earlier them. point about luring victims, you know, they were a couple. They were very young, very attractive. They would, you know, pull their car over asking for directions from young women and then get them in the car, chloroform them. And then do crazy, sadistic things. Sometimes they would kill them. I know that that one of the victims, of course, unfortunately, was Carla's blood sister. But they did not, I believe, have the intention to kill her. But she did, unfortunately, choke on her own vomit and died as a kind of side effect of the of the drugging. Um, now, what's what's fascinating about all of it was prior to those murders, there was a string of rapes outside Toronto uh, in a suburb called Scarborough. And so it was the, the Scarborough rapist was kind of known as this terrorizing force who was who was, you know, it was a huge deal and they never caught him. And now they do believe that that was Paul Bernardo probably before he started dating and then married Carlo Homolka, which is also so crazy to think about. Then he diversified and brought his wife in on the family business. Um, but when they they got married and started all of this and then got eventually got caught she actually signed a plea deal with uh with the courts and it was through that plea deal that they she alerted them to where there would be more evidence and some of the evidence included videotape of the crimes which when police viewed those tapes they realized carla was not the victim that she has been made out to be and that she was definitely a very involved participant uh in many ways but at that time because they had made this deal they stuck to the deal and uh, they did not charge her further i don't know the ins and outs of law so to me i was like that seemed odd that you couldn't then say, but wait a minute, now we're seeing that you you were very, very involved in this. But I, I, anyway, so long story short, she is out of prison. She's been out of prison for years. She's been out of prison probably for, I want to say, 16 or 17 years now. Um, and that has always fascinated me. He, of course, is still in, in prison in Canada. But she has children and she has moved, I think, to Europe now and is is living her life. And I always thought, like, it wouldn't, like, what is going to happen? Like, what happens when those children grow up and find out who their mother was, if ever? But imagine that. You know what's interesting, though, is I wonder, I feel like so much has changed in terms of the way we view grooming and all of those things, the way we view the psychology of victimhood. I wonder if maybe we would think of Carla as a victim now. That's a great question. That's a great point. Yeah, it's it's an interesting debate because... It's an interesting debate because there was definitely it was it was it was very clear that she was a victim. Then I remember the tapes came out and then it was very it made it was made to be very clear that she wasn't that she was she was definitely into it. But to your point, that's a huge gray area. It, what where what does that look like? How much was she involved or not? What was the precursor to that? What was their relationship like prior? That's a really great it's a that's a really interesting point and I agree with you. I don't want to view the tapes, but I would be curious to know, you're right, what, why, why was that delineation made and would it still be made today? It's a great, great question. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying Carla wasn't maybe groomed, but the thing that particularly sticks out for me about Carla Homolka is the reason that they, that she gave for them um, assaulting her own sister, who was only 15 at the time. Uh, was that she knew that Paul was disappointed that when they met, Carla was not a virgin. And I found that wildly fascinating because it's like, first of all, neither was he. It was like, oh, I've disappointed him because I'm not so pure. So her quote was, I gave him uh, my sister's virginity for Christmas. It was on Christmas, yeah. 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 And also after she died... Carla put on her sister's clothes so they could act out more because they weren't done with her. She died before they were finished. There was a Law and Order episode that loosely was based on that. I always remember it because I rewatched Law and Order during COVID. Yeah. And I think um, Ellen 
the lady out of Grey's Anatomy, Ellen Pompeo. Pompeo yeah, she played she played like a Carla character, and I oh. remember, yeah, it, it alluded to the fact that she was way more involved in the end. And I keep thinking, imagine if Carla, like like her kids, invited your kids over to a play date. That's an interesting point too, because in Australia, of course, we have sex offenders registry. You had the same in the states, yep. and you would have the same in Canada. Yep. Yeah. That you would have to. We would have to be aware of that. That's that is interesting that you can move to Europe and your yes. neighbours, your your kids, friends, parents don't have to know. Your yeah, I mean, it does oh, feel yeah. wild to think about. You know that, that to your point that there's no crossover. Like you know what what's the law there? Like I can just move to another country and and my criminal record just doesn't follow me, and it involves the murder of of one victim that was underage. So that's technically a child sex crime you know what i mean so that that feels odd that it's you can just get on a plane and, and i mean terrifying to th- again lock your doors you don't know your neighbors but you know what i mean like it, it does it is interesting to think about oh so she just changed her name changed her identity moved to another country and then she has no sort of paper trail i mean again and, and she did the crimes uh and, you know and i agree with you it's it's an interesting debate about what why but she she is technically a convicted sex offender so it is interesting that she she would potentially you know, does she have to disclose that in france or wherever it is she's she's living i don't know yeah i'm very open-minded about whether or not she was groomed up to the point before my yeah. kids go for a sleepover <laughs> right up to that point <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. i know i hear you yeah. i think it's a great point though i think i think you're right because we're ba- i think that it's a great point to bring up because i think that that uh i'm remembering Remembering this from the the time and things have changed and, and all of that and the, the ways that we understand that these these kind of crimes are happening. But then Christy also brings up a good point. I forgot about that quote, which was chilling, chilling. Someone tracked her down, I think, didn't they? A journalist tracked her down and actually wrote a book or an article, didn't they, a few years ago, I think, and had photos and they're like, oh, look at her. She's living the life. She's got her kid. She's married, you know. She also only, they found out about the sister because when the sister first died, uh, the coroner was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, it was an accident. Choked on her own vomit. And it's like, well, they obviously didn't do any sort of full invest- full exam because they would have found out she had been assaulted. Uh, but they ended up exhuming her body like two weeks after Carla got uh, sentenced. They only added two years to her sentence for her sister's murder, which I find amazing. And now I'm learning, maybe just background check the parents of any kids that are friends with your kids. <laughs> just, just do a quick, light, light quick background, background check, check just, just to make sure you know where your kids are going. That's all. That seems fine, right? I don't know how my mother ever let me live, leave the house. Do you guys do, I suppose you, do, you don't live in the same city normally. You're never no. in the same city. I was going to ask if you ever do any live events or anything like that. Do you ever do any Zooms or anything? Over, you've been doing them over Zoom? No, no. We well, we actually did a live cast uh, when we were when locked down and everything. But but prior to that, and pretty soon we do live shows and they're super fun. And we sit on stage with a retired homicide detective and we talk about cases they've done and then we we ask the, the audience asks them questions and all of that. It's great. Oh, I love that. We're doing yeah a few and um, one of them's in the suburb where I grew up. So a lot of my mates are going, yeah, I'm coming along. Awesome. Good for you. I love it. And there's also very localized crimes to those areas that are going to be really interesting to talk about. That's so cool. We definitely have had a lot of people talking, uh, talking to us about wanting live shows and stuff like that. We obviously with the COVID of it all, that is we haven't done anything yet. We've also had people ask talking to us about live shows like on the Internet and I, I'm like, ah, yes, but I don't know. <laughs> then I'm like, we just we just figured out how to like run a podcast. Like now I have to figure out how to stage manage a live Zoom show. I mean, like, give me a couple weeks to research. You well, know? Yeah, but I guess it's just like this, and then uh, and then you can just be talking to them in real time. And then we've done a few like this, and they're just you know typing questions up the side. It's that's fun and easy. But I find that the homicide detectives are great because they. Just don't get much uh, kudos, you know, throughout their career. They get a lot of criticism. They get the media constantly saying, "Why haven't you found that guy? What, you know, what's the problem?" And they get a lot of pressure. 
but then when they retire, they're finally allowed to talk, just just say whatever they want, what they really think, and and they talk. Uh, so they love and it. They, talk. they do love to talk. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, I that's why I really loved the Night Stalker documentary on Netflix. I don't yes. know if you watched it, but but I really loved so good. that it was letting the police kind of really tell the story about what the kind of timeline was of how they approached the case, how they solved the case. Um, the involvement of Diane Feinstein for anyone who lives in America is also fascinating because she, of course, is a longtime California senator now. But hearing about how she was the mayor of San Francisco at the time and that she really, really kind of uh, screwed them over in the in the terms of, of how they were trying to run the case. And then she went public before they wanted them to. It, I mean, that was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was really interesting because I think a lot of the true crime we consume, or I consume anyway, you'll you'll hear from detectives, you'll hear from law enforcement that was involved and stuff, but never have I seen something that was really focused, that it was like the focus of this documentary is having them tell the story. And I thought that that was really interesting. And it is, isn't it, the, the politics, the way politics intersects with investigation and funding and those basic things is so interesting. And unfortunately, we don't hear about it at the time. But when we hear about it in retrospect, I've just finished writing a book. And actually, Christy, it's about the forensic pathologists and the autopsies and stuff. Hearing about this one case in particular was a serial killer here in Melbourne, in Frankston, and about after the second murder, the police and the community were saying, we've got a serial killer, but the government wouldn't admit it because that was so much extra funding required. All of a sudden, you know, it wasn't until the third murder, okay, suddenly lots of extra police, helicopters and HQ set up there at school and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, not wanting to admit it, not wanting the media to use that term, not wanting, not allowing the police to use that term in press conferences and all of that because that equates to dollars using that term. Yeah, and, and you know... What's also interesting is that at the exact same time of the Night Stalker, while the the thick of that case was happening, there was another serial killer in Los Angeles who later got dubbed the Grim Sleeper, which is featured on the May 11th episode of our show. Um, I've never heard of the Grim Sleeper. The, the night. Thank you. Very, thank you very much. Neither had I. And I'll tell you why. Oh. Uh, and we definitely get into it on the show. But. So Richard Ramirez, he was targeting, you know, the Night Stalker was targeting kind of middle to to upper class neighborhoods. Police was going crazy. There was another serial killer that was killing at the exact same time, but he lived in South Central L.A., which is a very kind of developing, um, for lack of a better term, uh, poor community. and African-American, Hispanic uh, Yes, and he was targeting um, sex workers. This was also starting in the height of the crack epidemic, which was huge in Los Angeles. And so a lot of the, the sex workers were also addicts. And the murders, it was clear that there was a serial killer because there was a string that were, you know, same M.O., and it literally took them 20 years before they even announced that there was a serial killer. The victims' families did not even know that there was a serial killer who was on the loose. And then the other quick aside is there was a, a third serial killer who was operating at that time called the Southside Strangler. Uh, but then it was determined that that was actually multiple men who had the exact same M.O. And they mistook it for being one serial killer when it was just a bunch of guys unfortunately, murdering sex workers, addicts in the exact same way. And to your point, it was, of course, in an area that that was, you know, has a very high crime rate, did not necessarily have the manpower and was not going to get more funding for more manpower. And there just wasn't the same kind of concern given when it was, you know, there was even a quote that an, an activist at the time was given from the police that was, oh, he's only killing prostitutes. So why do you care? And it's like, well, <laughs> There's a lot of reasons that we care, um, you know, so it's it's crazy. But that's still the case. Yeah, we talk about that, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it's it's crazy to think about also the fact that there was so much murder going on in that that span of time that there was the Night Stalker, that there was this grim the grim sleeper who they think killed, you know, over 100 women. He, he was convicted of 10 and one attempted. But they think it's possible that it was over 100 because he worked for the sanitation department. Anyway, and then, of course, there was these other serial killers, and I would call them serial killers. If you, To me, again, if they were killing more than one woman each, that qualifies you. Um, it's just crazy to think about that it was such an epidemic at that time 
of all of these killings of women. Now, again, Richard Ramirez would, would go. He didn't have an M.O. He was killing everybody. But but all of these women being killed at the same time, it was just it was it's wild to think about. It's really it overwhelming. Is, absolutely. Yeah. We yeah. still have an epidemic in Australia of domestic violence, of women being killed at a rate of approximately once a week by a partner or former partner. That's ongoing. I don't know what your stats are in the States and Canada. I'm not sure what the, the stats are either. I, I think it's actually quite high as well. Um I, I, I again, I don't I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but I do know that that is something that, again, there's there's lots of lots of focus on um, how do we handle this? What do we do? What can we do to get ahead of it? Those kinds of, of thoughts. But it is that's a, that is another kind of overwhelming thing to think about. And that, of course, I, I don't know if you've watched that uh, another documentary on Netflix that that the murder next door and it was all through found footage. The documentary. The murderer next door, the Watts family. Oh, my gosh. The footage was incredible, wasn't it, of him, of the, the man in the, in the lounge room and the neighbour saying, there's something not right, there's something not right, I'm telling you, saying to the police when he walked out the door. That was extraordinary, the vision that they had in that documentary. That's another example to me, you know, of of someone, if how pervasive domestic violence is and how, how pervasive um, abuse is and, and what it can look like and that it can affect absolutely anybody. People think that people have perception about what, especially I think emotional abuse looks like um, or, or, you know, it's like that only happens to blank, whatever someone's perception is of, of a, a woman that could be, uh, you know, targeted in those ways. And I think that documentary was, was great in, in opening the eyes of the fact that it, could be literally anybody you could be your next door neighbors that look beautiful and happy and have this wonderful life you don't actually know what's going on behind closed doors and it's such an epidemic and it's overwhelming to think about where do you begin to try and unravel how to prevent that gosh okay what other episodes do you have coming up i love your show it's so great to discover a new podcast isn't it particularly a new true crime podcast because you think oh god i've got them all i'm up to date with everything what else there's got to be something else and then you discover a new show and i was like no way dina from superstore does a true crime podcast that's crazy i know I know. I know. It's right? wild. It's wild. Well, I know it is. And it's a really great one. Thank you so much. Christy, what do we have coming up? I'm always, I ask you every other day, what's the calendar? What are we researching? Same. We're the same. Uh, well, right. Right now I am uh, knee deep in Natalie Holloway. That's right. Oh, yes. Now, didn't, here's a weird connection. Didn't her mum marry JonBenet Ramsey's dad? They just dated Oh, but and they're not together anymore. Six months after Patsy Ramsey died. Six months after. Six months. Men do that, babe. Men do that. Widowers mm. do that. They just they they suddenly they get hungry, <laughs> and they need. <laughs> they got no clean shirt. They need a meal. Yeah. They need a hot yeah. meal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've already I've already told my husband. Once I'm gone, you're just. You're just alone for life. <laughs> so, no, so you're I'm welcome. You, no, but he'll have moved in with a lady down the street. He'll be hungry. Yeah. She'll find him in the street in his underpants, banging a saucepan, and she'll say, get in here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Don't judge him. Help, it out. Help us out. Okay. Yes, Natalie Holloway's next. We also have started, we're going to start doing every few episodes, a serial killer series where I research serial killers because I really have an odd fascination with the serial killers specifically. I know it's really odd. Christy, your research is impeccable. Like I was looking at the the stuff you put online. I was like, wow, it's something to aspire to. Like I, I love, I get lost in reading stuff, but then I actually, I've got to translate it to actually doing something useful with it. Um, I just sort of go from one thing to one thing, but you're, it's just impeccable the way it's presented and I love it. I just much respect to you. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I don't have free time anymore. Uh, I don't really know what that is. I barely know what my children look like. Uh, it's just once you, once you get into something and before you know it, you find something else and then you find something else and there's just no end point. So you just keep going and going and going. And then you have to take like a hundred page of notes and whittle it down to only like 20 to 40 pages to be able to do an episode. And our episodes are already pushing it at length as it is. So we yeah, we have to cut it at some point, but it's hard to try and make sure you find what you're going to keep in there and what you want to 
what you're willing to get rid of, what's just not something you're going to bring up. So it's a really, it's a tough game. I love it. I love it so much. Thank you for joining this show with us. Thank oh, you this for was just having a, us. A ball. Just a joy. Just a ball. Well, let's do it again. Yes. Absolutely. It's been I know. Amazing. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to connect with you and we'll Exactly. Shared relevant interests. I love it. Thank you to patrons Jessica Carty, Lucille, Mandy, Beck Sutton, Melissa Spears, Mrs. Wag, Nicole Drage, Resley Bouchelle, Susan Werner, and Lisa Godfrey. Thank you to our guests, Lauren Ash and Christy Oxborough, and thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back and back to normal next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.